Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 90 of Sorta Awesome, and I wanted to take a moment to say welcome to all of our new listeners. We've had quite a few new people join this community of awesomes, if you're new to Sorta Awesome, welcome, welcome. Here at Sorta Awesome, we consider ourselves solidly in the girlfriend chat genre of podcasts. And so we cover all kinds of topics that you would just hash out with your closest girlfriends, from the silly to the serious. Today's episode is one that has been in the works for a long time because it's a topic that is very close to my heart and my life. And I know that many of you listening have been touched by it as well. Today, we're going to be talking about postpartum depression. Now, obviously, postpartum depression is not something that any of us would consider to be awesome, but it's definitely something that we can dig into to find hope for coping and for healing. So I am joined today by one of you. That's right. My guest co-host this week is Katie Pace, an active member of the awesome community. Katie is a wife, a mom of two, a member of our community who currently lives in Nebraska, and somebody who has experienced postpartum depression firsthand, and she's going to be telling her story here in just a bit. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hi, Megan. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you are able to take the time and come on and talk about this with me today. So in addition to sharing our postpartum stories... We're also going to hear from a medical doctor who's a wife, a mom, and a postpartum depression survivor. And then later in the show, we'll hear from a practitioner of Chinese medicine who has some fascinating insights on treating postpartum depression from a mind-body wellness connection. So we're going to get to all of that here in just a little bit. But first, let's go ahead and start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Katie, what did you bring for your Awesome this week? Okay, we should just talk about the pressure of the awesome of the week. <laughs> I have like had 150 things I wanted to talk about. Um, so what I have for you today is The Chef's Table. It is a show on Netflix. And um, have you seen it? I have not. I've heard so many good things about it, but I have not watched a single minute of it. Oh, Megan, this is a show that is so you. And the reason is, is because you love story. I know how much you love story and memoir and all that. And this is just a gorgeous visual memoir of each of these chefs. And it goes into one chef per episode where they are actually in going into their third season, which is why it's my awesome of the week, because third season dropped this week. Awesome. And I cannot wait to see it. So this is one chef over a course of an episode, and they go into all the backstory. It's not just how they put food on the plate. It is how they got to where they are. Uh, there's a particular chef that I find super interesting. He is in the middle of Sweden somewhere. He can't get fresh vegetables six months out of the year. And he has a four-star restaurant in the middle of a barn in the middle of nowhere that people literally drive for days to get to. So Amazing. it is just 
Yeah, it is awesome. It is a stunning, 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 stunning series, and I could not love it more. And I really think you would love it. I really do. So that's my awesome of the week. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Kyla and I are kind of in a little bit of a lull. You know, we I've, I've talked show many forth. times on this show <laughs> before that our evenings are times when we kind of um, settle in and we love to binge through series and we're kind of in an in-between spot. So I will definitely cue this up because both of us love stories, especially that have anything to do with food. So Right. <laughs> right. And so, they, yep, they're in their third season and they actually have a uh, chef's table France as well. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, well, my awesome of the week this week is something called Brain.fm. I don't know if you've heard of Brain FM at all before. Uh-uh. Well, I first heard about Brain.fm from a newsletter I've subscribed to for for a long time from Amy Lane Andrews. And the name of her newsletter is called The Newsletter, And it's filled with all kinds of like hacks and links and interesting articles, especially for people who do work on the internet, online work of any kind. So she mentioned she'd been using Brain.fm because it, what they do is they create music that is a It's like music for the brain is kind of their tagline. And you can listen to it through their website or there is an app. And what they have done is they say they have combined music with auditory neuroscience to create music specifically for different um, things that you might need to uh, have your brain focus in on. So there's specific music for focus. They also have music when you want to relax, when you want to meditate, or also music to help you sleep. So I'm always looking for things like this because Katie, as you know, as being an ENFP, that we have yeah. <laughs> extroverted intuition is our first cognitive function, which means that we notice all of the things around us <laughs> right, <laughs> at all times, which means that we tend to be highly distractible. And because I work at home, I find I'm often distracted (laughs) (laughs) by things that are going on around me if I'm working at home, or even if I go to a coffee shop, which I do love to do because I love the energy of being around other people, but then I get all distracted by all the other people that are around. So when I'm working and I'm not editing, if I'm working on writing something or even just responding to emails or planning things for sort of awesome or for smartest person in the room, then it helps so much to have some kind of background music happening that, I don't know, it just helps me to stay focused. And I've tried a couple of different ones. I've mentioned on the show before zenmix.io, which has different kind of like nature sounds that you can use. I've tried classical piano playlists on Spotify, and those have been helpful. But this music from Brain.fm is genuinely like the science is there you can read through it on their website it is scientifically engineered to help your brain focus in and it is supposed to increase your productivity if you use it for sleep it supposedly increases the quality of your sleep now i cannot sleep with earbuds in because i have all of these children and i have to you know you know how moms sleep with one ear kind of (laughs) open on how everybody's doing so (laughs) i don't normally sleep with earbuds in but for anybody who's listening who maybe has sleep issues or bad sleep quality, you may want to check it out for sleep. So the way it's set up, I'm not sure. I don't think you have to pay for it at all if you use it through their website in a web browser. I went ahead and put it on my iPhone through the App Store, and they give you 10 free sessions um, if you listen to it through the app. And so you can kind of give it a try and see if it's working for you. 
I was liking it so much, I went ahead and I bought a monthly subscription to it. They have longer term packages that you can buy. I think it was like five or six dollars for one month. So I'm going to give the full, you know, the full experience a try for a month and see if I am going to keep paying for it. But you can definitely check it out for free to see if it connects with your brain to help you increase your productivity. So brain.fm truly has been my awesome for the past couple of weeks now. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, now, like I said, today, we're going to tackle a little bit more serious topic than we normally take on, on on Sort of Awesome. But hey, we've done serious topics in the past. And (laughs) we believe truly that one of the best things about having a close group of girlfriends that you can tune into and talk with um, and hear from each week is that you can cover um, things like the best lipstick color that you're loving or how to manage your mental health so that you're enjoying your life and really truly finding the awesome in the everyday. So Katie, we're going to start you and I each have experienced postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Each of us have had very different experiences with it, which I think is so important because one of the main things that I hope really comes out as we have this discussion about postpartum depression is that number one, it can manifest in different ways for different women. And then sometimes even you as a woman can experience postpartum depression in different ways yourself. And we really wanted to put this episode together Number one, to reach out to and provide solidarity for women who have struggled with postpartum depression or are currently going through it. But also number two, because this has become such a prevalent part of the post-birth experience, we really want to educate and inform people how they can support the women in their lives who may be struggling with this, to raise awareness of it and to help make a path for supporting women. And we're going to be talking about some really practical ways to support women going through postpartum depression later in the episode. But first, let's go ahead and start with our stories. Katie, I would love for you to just take it from here and kind of give us the background maybe on your first pregnancy and birth and then how you discovered that postpartum depression was something that you were battling and and just kind of how Mm -hmm. things have unfolded from there. Yeah, you know, I have to say one of the reasons that I'm super thrilled to be doing this too is because I think that the understanding of postpartum depression is very abstract. You know, and so uh, I think for us to be talking about it in very like real, you know, sort of here's exactly what it looks like ways, I think, and I hope will be super helpful for you guys. Uh, So yes, my first pregnancy was amazing, honestly. Um, I honestly had never felt better in my life. Pregnancy was great, birth was amazing, just could not have gone better. He was perfect, slept through the night at a month. I mean, just like, yes, ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) It's okay, Toby has never, like my second child has not slept through the night yet, so. (laughs) And he just turned two, so. Uh, So it was amazing, it really was a wonderful experience, the birth was great. I did not, you know, I experienced the sort of up into the six week mark when you have the baby blues and you're just kind of, not really, especially with your first, because you do, you have no idea what is happening. And so, you know, I had my uh, midwife had said up until six weeks, that really is completely normal. Um, you can just be sitting somewhere and just start crying. And, you know, sure. like your body is just kind of in shock and, and getting adjusted. And so it really, for me, any postpartum never really starts until about the three to four month okay. mark. Okay. Two to three, right around there. Um, and so for me with 
CJ, it was really just isolating, um, not feeling like I could leave because of nursing or, you know, I would not, I wouldn't be put together in any way, shape or form. So that I'm a Southern girl at heart. <laughs> so I feel like I have to be put together to leave the house. And so that, so there was some isolating. He was kind of in that uh, three to four month mark. So with him, it was just, I would have irrational fear, mm. like that I would fall down the stairs. Ah, uh, yes. You know, like I'd be walking with him next to the stairs and have a weird irrational fear that we were both going to go down the stairs. Yeah. Um, I did experience some anger that I was like, what? You know, like I would call my husband and be like, I'm just so mad. Yes. Um, and not at him, just in general, you yes. know, the, at the baby. I mean, I felt just melancholy. Mm. It was, you know, and we weren't aware. So to us, it was very extreme at the time. Like uh, it wasn't until probably the following spring that I kind of came out of that. And I did really come out of that naturally. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't for me that it was, I did not need any intervention or um, anything like that to kind of come out of that. Um, I had changed up my diet a bit and done that, those kinds of things. But with my first, it was just sort of melancholy. Yeah, I think that is definitely something that a lot of women can relate to. It's like you said, the first six weeks, maybe even first eight weeks, the hormones are fluctuating. Like you said, your right. body is recovering from major trauma. So definitely there are those huge fluctuations. But as you look at extending past, maybe those right. first six to eight weeks, and it's something that you just can't seem to shake, I think is a very good indicator that maybe something is not completely right with your postpartum experience and that you may be having some postpartum right. depression. Now, so that was with your first child. Mm -hmm. you, you got pregnant again, have a second baby. What was your right. experience like um, with the second go round? Okay, so with my second pregnancy, we actually noticed uh, earlier on towards the end of the pregnancy that there were some things happening with me mentally that were not normal. Um, we felt that it wasn't stable. Um, and at that time, we did you know, we were trying to be proactive because we knew that the second time around could be um, more severe. And we did try and reach out. Unfortunately, it just kind of got lost in translation. Mm -hmm. We kind of pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps and just kind of continued with towards with the end of our pregnancy. Um, again, I did some adjusting with um, my diet. We did let our sort of uh, our community in. And uh, so they knew what was going on. But I just really tried to kind of white knuckle it because somewhere along the line, I believe this lie that when things got lost in translation, that then I believe this lie that I was too much that it was in my head and I was making it into something bigger than it was. Um, and, um, you know, that I, that it wasn't really happening. Right. And, and that, that's a lie, you mm -hmm. know, it was happening. I think an, another thing that happens a lot with people who have big personalities, like I do, mm -hmm. um, extroverts don't look depressed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Extroverts don't look like they really are. I mean, I can be in <laughs> excruciating pain and cracking jokes, you know yes. what I mean? Like that's just kind of how it is. And so those things were kind of missed towards yes. the end of our pregnancy mm -hmm. um, by the people that we had reached out for, for help. So we white knuckled it. We had, the, had went into labor, had Toby, unfortunately had some complications after birth, not in birth, um, which kind of put me out for the first two weeks after he was born. And, but again, it's that whole thing that I felt like I was fine. Like I kept telling myself like, nope, I don't feel like I did at the end of pregnancy. I'm okay. This is just baby blues. You know, we're just, we're just, going along. And I'm very fortunate in that JD was able to be home with me for a whole month. And we even had friends in town. 
I would say like a month after he was born and she was awesome about grilling me. You know, she was like, are you okay? Are you getting out? What's happening? Yes. How are you doing? Um, and I was like, yes, you know, I really do feel like I'm okay. You know, we uh, know we're not getting out, but it's not because we're not trying to. And mm. we really were trying to do all the right things the second time around. And um, so JD went back to work about a month. And then after he went into work slowly, but surely I found myself like deeper and deeper in the melancholy. Mm. And then the thoughts started, the plans started, the, the lie that you're not taking care of your children well, you're not loving your, your um, toddler well, you are, you know, I would hear like, you're worthless because getting out of bed was tough. You know, yes. like it was just, it was like, I would have to psych myself up to get out of bed. Yes. And I had extreme fatigue and extreme like pain, mm. like lift, lifting my arm was mm. painful. Mm-hmm. Picking up the baby was painful. And so in that then began the the suicidal thoughts. And I'm just going to be honest about that because, and it, and it's so strange because even when I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, I want to die, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I can fix this. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, like, mm-hmm. like, and if I ask for help, I'm too much. Um, and so I found different ways to cope. One of the ways I did was I, I would began counting how many times I was thinking about death during the day. And I think towards the end, like before we got, we actually got help. It was about 50 to 70 times okay. somewhere around there. I can't remember the exact number, but I know it was maybe 65. We'll go with 65. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and, you know, would have to call JD home, you know, JD and I actually had to have the discussion like, okay, what if you Mm -hmm. lose your job in this time? You know, that's something people don't think about because we don't really have family here. It's just him and I. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was having to come home a lot. Um, And at no point did I feel like I wasn't like, it wasn't like my children were in danger. um, But really, I just was so distraught because I felt like, I'm failing, you know? Yeah, I know. I I relate to that so much. That was the sort of pervasive thought that I had really, definitely for the first year after my twins were born, but it didn't even actually go away for a while after that. So I relate to that so, so much. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a darkness that people don't seem to understand mm-hmm. outside, you know, if they haven't been through it. Right. Because it's a, it's a thought that no matter how much your, your partner, your family, your friends try to say, no, you're doing great. Look at your right. life. You mean you're, you're, you got everybody up. You got everybody fed, everybody safe. You're not failing. You're doing great. No matter how much people tell you that and try to remind you of that it is a it is a thought pattern that you just can't seem to shake because it seems like at every turn you just see more evidence that you actually are failing they're just trying to be nice you know and that you actually really are failing and it's really hard to shake that thought yeah Yeah, totally 100 percent. and um so yeah i think um i was just kind of we were grasping uh and we knew i knew at that point like I'm going to have to get some help because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, this is not, it just kept, it really just kept getting darker and harder. And mm-hmm. um, so two things happened. <laughs> One was that I literally was like on my knees in prayer and I have, I have told you this, but I was like on my knees in prayer in the kitchen, like Lord Jesus in heaven. I really, 
I'm not, I'm not okay. And I need, like, I just need something. And then I got your email about this sort of awesome (laughs) podcast. And it seems, I know it seems silly, but being able to listen to you guys talk and there not be any, any knowledge of sort of my situation where I could just listen to you guys and feel like I was in a conversation. It was incredibly helpful. It genuinely got me through those days. And, and then the podcast. Yes. So that's why, <laughs> that's why you guys and the podcast yes. are literally like so close to my heart because they gave me something to laugh about mm. and you guys made me feel as though I wasn't alone. Right. Um, I'm so, I mean, that means the world to me and I'm sure Knox and Jamie would be delighted to hear that too. Um, because, and, and I feel the same way. I, I'll share later in my story that I had that moment too of just like, finally, something came into my life that was good and happy and helpful. Yeah. Um, so thank you for saying that. That means so much. Now, I know that you were seeing a doctor at this point. And mm-hmm. so how did that journey continue on then as you were dealing with these thoughts, struggling? You, like you said, you felt like it was getting worse and worse. At, you know, at what point did you go in for maybe further help um, mm-hmm. from your doctor? And kind of how did the journey unfold after that? Well, I was actually given a referral to um, a doctor who deals with MTHFR, okay. which do you know, are you familiar with MTHFR? I am vaguely familiar. I have <laughs> seen it in writing. I've seen lots of people kind of bring it up in all kinds of ways that that gene mutation can play out in life. But mm-hmm. I don't know that I have it myself. And I and I don't know that much about it. So if you could kind of just give us a little bit of an overview of MTHFR, yes. that gene mutation, and, and then how it specifically played into your postpartum recovery. Okay. So the understanding of MTHFR actually came out of the Human Genome Project. They didn't know about it before that. I think it was like 2003 um, that they actually found it. And uh, there is a very long technical term that I could try and say out loud, but it is MTHFR. And if you just Google that, there's tons of information out there. When I was diagnosed, I was actually diagnosed with it in 2010 because it wreaks havoc in the body in a lot of different ways. Um, It can affect uh, fertility um, and your ability to carry, sustain uh, pregnancy, uh, which is why we were tested for it. And they are linking it to cardiovascular disease. um, But one of the major things that are coming out recently, more recently, is that it is linked to depression and um, anxiety uh, and fatigue. And that is because what it is, is now I've got my little handout here so I can give you the correct information. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Simply put, a functioning MTHFR gene acts as an anti-inflammatory and an antioxidant. So a dysfunctional MTHFR gene can contribute to cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, stroke, glaucoma, depression, anxiety, fatigue, and cancer. Okay. Um, Now, this one does not speak about fertility issues, but basically there's a breakdown in your brain. So if I eat food or I take food that has folic acid in it, the folic acid won't break the the blood brain barrier and actually stays in my system. So it wreaks all kinds of havoc. Okay. So when I first was diagnosed with it, there was limited information out there. Mm. Um, And I was put on a low dose of uh, uh, methylfolate. Um, if you if you are listening to this podcast and you have been diagnosed with MTHFR, you need to avoid folic acid, folic acid at all costs, um, because your body can't get it and it just builds up in your system. And you need to be taking methylated B vitamins, which allows your, your brain to actually get the benefit of the B vitamin, which is why every single time someone's like struggling, the first thing I'm like, hey, let's check out, let's try this B vitamin, um, because it can't hurt you if 
if it's not an issue. So what happened was I went to this doctor and she, I told her, I said, here's what's going on. I'm insanely tired, more so than I should be with a newborn. I, I'm going to be frank with you. I'm, you know, I'm having these thoughts. I'm making these plans. My husband keeps having to come home. And she said, well, what a dosage are you on? And I said, well, I'm taking a thousand micrograms like they've always had me taking. And she said, well, I would suggest that you take 15 milligrams which so I was taking one fifteenth of what I should have been taking. Uh-huh. So it's a huge difference. Right. Um, and so it's a prescription strength B vitamin and I started taking it and I would say within six weeks the thoughts stopped. It was like every week, you know, I could feel like a, a veil of fog mm. lifting off of me. So yes. I would say that it it was not like it is not a one hundred percent cure for dealing with depression or those kinds of things. But what it did do is it took me out of crisis and validated that I wasn't like that, that this was in fact actually happening right. because it, because it was gone. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. I wasn't tired anymore. Um, one of the other things is that I had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia prior to this pregnancy. I no longer have pain. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So it really, really changed my life. So, um, that's why I'm constantly like talking about the B vitamins, yes. <laughs> the methylated, methylated B vitamins because, <laughs> you know, and the other thing too is that I have seen it where other, other gals, I've watched other gals who, you know, I'm having conversations with them like, hey, have you been tested for MTHFR? And they're like, oh yeah, I've got that. And I have, you know, both markers and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, no wonder you're struggling with postpartum depression and have gotten them to my doctor. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel grateful that we, I dealt with it because I can see it in other people. The other thing that's important that I think, and I know that MTHFR is probably a whole show on its own, but um, when I did go to my doctor, she said that now they are, the understanding is that up to 60% of the population, well, about 60% of the population have one form or another of MTHFR. Wow, that is significant. So I hope that what we're sharing today is unlocking some answers for people for, you know, how this might show up in a variety of ways, not just in postpartum depression, but a variety of things that are, you know, having an impact on their health and and their experience in life. So that's super helpful information. Thank you so much. for that. I hope so. I hope so. Well, and thank you for sharing your story. I know, you know, we, you and I have kind of been talking about this episode and what we might share and say. And as much as we both wanted to do this episode, I think both of us had a little trepidation. It's hard to mm-hmm. say these things out loud as a mom, as a woman yeah. saying, you know, the experience of giving birth and everything that followed was, you know, one of the most traumatic dark times of my life. That's just so counter to what our culture kind of paints as the picture of Mm -hmm. being a new mom. So my experience is different in that I had two children, um, my daughters, who are now 12 and nine. um, I had them, I, you know, experienced a little bit of baby blues, maybe more with my oldest. My second one was a breeze. I just popped back up even after my second C-section and just went back to life. There was like hardly any waves through my life. (laughs) (laughs) So with my first two, I just really did not have any concept or any like any understanding of postpartum depression. I have certainly had friends through the years, particularly as I became more and more involved in online community, and that became so much more of a part of our lives. You know, I'd read blog posts um, and hear speakers speak about their experience with postpartum depression. So I thought in my mind, I knew what postpartum depression was like even Mm -hmm. though I had not personally experienced it. So then, you know, as I'm 35, I get pregnant with the twins. Um, We had 
plan to try for one more and one more came with a brother. And so I, you know, from the beginning, I was just, I feel like I was in a state of shock throughout the whole pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I had never intended to have four kids and I just, twins were never something that I dreamed were going to be part of our family story. So I had a um, relatively, I mean, all things considered, very healthy, you know, just a, a few complications here and there, but nothing severe with the twins. When they were born at 35 weeks, um, one of them, Mac, uh, had some breathing problems and just had a hard time getting released from the hospital. But the hospital that I gave birth at for the twins um, really practiced the family model of care. And so um, I and the and John Kyle, our other twin, were able to stay there in the hospital while he was there. It was still very, that part it kind of was the beginning of like, I'm failing. I'm not doing this right. It was the first time I had not been able to get a baby to the breast right away and start breastfeeding mm-hmm. because Mac was in the NICU for so long. And I just had this just a ton of guilt from the beginning. I have this one baby that I'm nurturing and breastfeeding and doing all of these things that, you know, in my crunchy yeah. <laughs> life prior to <laughs> yeah. the twins being born, felt convinced and convicted were the right way to parent mm-hmm. a new baby. And then I had this other twin that I just, I couldn't even hardly get to physically separated from him. So from the very beginning, I was troubled, I guess would be the best Mm. way to describe Mm -hmm. it. Um, We got home, everybody got to come home and we settled in. I made my little nursing nest and, and, and nursing started off going well. And, you know, so for the first six or eight weeks, I was like, of course, I have two newborns and I'm not a spring chicken anymore, <laughs> you know, I'm in my, I'm in my you right. know, middle part of my 30s. And so, of course, I felt tired and, and felt drained. It was after probably the first four to six weeks that I really began to notice um, that I was really, really angry. And mm-hmm. it was like you had said, I wasn't necessarily angry at one person. I wasn't angry at the twins or my other kids or Kyle. I just was angry about life. And the mm-hmm. littlest thing would completely set me off into not just being like grouchy about something, but just going into a full on rage, which was very scary and added to my guilt, of course, and added to my feelings of being a failure that I was failing the twins because I got angry so easily that I was failing my big girls who I mean, at least the twins wouldn't remember they were newborns, but my big girls were old enough that they would be remembering this and they're, you know, like storing it in their memory banks. It was it was really difficult. I had no idea that anger, irritability, um, a complete sense of overwhelm, not just like the usual, like, again, it was really hard for me to parse through because I'd never had twins before. Certainly I'd have babies, but I'd never had twins. So I didn't know how much the complete sense of overwhelm and the complete sense of hopelessness were Mm -hmm. um, part of postpartum depression too. And Katie, something you said, I think is so important. I'm an extrovert too. I would, it was like, a, a lifeline to me to put the twins in their car seats and go, go to Target, go to the grocery store, get out of the house. It was something that kept me sane. Just getting mm-hmm. out and being around people, even if I wasn't seeing friends or anything, just being around people was so important to me that it's true because a lot of times when we, we think about depression, we think about 
it being really hard to get out of the house and being hard to get out of bed. I was up, I was getting dressed, I was getting us out of the house as often as I could. But at the same time, I was battling these intense anger issues. So I ended up writing, this was when I was still blogging, it's sort of crunchy, and I ended up writing a post about how I thought I was having this much anger because I was grieving a dream that I had had that we would have one more baby and that I would just pop them in a carrier and go on with life. And that's not Uh how it happened. And I truly at the time believed that I was going through a grieving process. And I wrote about how intensely angry I had been. And comments started pouring in people, my friends were messaging me and a, a number of people were like, listen, it's not just grief. You have postpartum depression. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not right. sad. I'm angry. Can't you hear me? <laughs> um, I was really resistant to it. And like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because again, I thought in my mind, I knew what postpartum depression looks like. But for me, it was an um, really abnormal, unnatural amount of anger and just anger to the point of just like rage, like just explosions of anger. Also, and I can, and again, this kind of stretched on even after I, so I, I kind of started to look into it, went to see my doctor, started some supplements to kind of help get things regulated. And, and that did help sort of get me back to a baseline. But that sense of overwhelm and hopelessness really lasted and, and created kind of this dark cloud over pretty much the first year of the twins' life. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember standing in our basement where our laundry machines are and doing laundry and just crying. Just And, and the twins were like eight or nine months old. Just crying mm. and crying and just feeling like my life was never going to get back on track, that it, I was never going to feel normal again, that all of these plans I'd hoped for for uh, my future with writing and all of these things were never going to happen. I mean, it was just, it was a very dark time. I can remember taking baths. My husband would, you know, put, kind of get the twins and all the kids in bed and be like, go sit in the bath because I, I love a good soak at the end of the day. Uh-huh. And I can remember getting into the bubble bath and just, again, just crying, just feeling so hopeless. So for me, again, it manifested in a different way than I thought. But then having people come kind of come alongside and be like, listen, I know you don't think you have it, but let's, you know, let's kind of talk about all of these things that are happening and and the things that you're experiencing. And so, again, for me, it was like a full year really before I started to feel normal again. I I just talked about this when I was on Ann Bogle's podcast, What Should I Read Next? That there was a moment when I picked up Rainbow Rowell's Fangirl, mm-hmm. um, which is a <laughs> wonderful, delightful book, and, and read it. And it, I just, I look at that as a marker because that was the first time since the twins had been born and I'd really struggled through the depression of just feeling like a sense of delight again and just so much happiness. And so what you were saying about Sort of Awesome and the podcast, I definitely feel <laughs> towards yeah. Rainbow Rowell as a person, <laughs> as a writer, and towards that book specifically. So... Okay, well, we have taken some time to share our stories. I'd also like to um, let you know that we're going to hear from a couple of professionals, some healthcare providers who have some great insights for us about what it, what postpartum depression can look like and what some things to know about treating it would be. And then Katie and I are going to share a couple of closing thoughts about what you can do to help a woman in your life who might be experiencing postpartum depression and some resources 
for those of you who may be going through it right now. First, we're going to hear from Dr. Lakeisha Webb McMillan. Dr. McMillan is a woman who is an OBGYN who began practicing in 2006. In 2012, she transitioned out of her practice and is now the medical director of Education Without Walls for Macmillan Enterprises. She's also the host of the very amazing and very awesome podcast, House Call with Dr. Mac, which she launched in July of 2014. Dr. Macmillan has a passion for helping people slow down and understand how their bodies work. So I wanted to ask her what her thoughts would be on recognizing postpartum depression and what some different treatment options might look like. Well, hi, Dr. McMillan. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Sort of Awesome to tackle the topic of postpartum depression. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for asking me to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking about personal stories with postpartum depression. It was really important to me to hear a medical perspective. In our culture today, a lot of women are sort of familiar with some of the bigger symptoms of postpartum depression. For example, maybe not feeling attached to the new baby or or having overwhelming sense of sadness or no desire to take care of yourself or to take care of the baby. Those are kind of the classic symptoms, I guess, that we think of. But Dr. McMillan, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the other symptoms that people might not even be aware of that are pointing to postpartum depression? That That's a great question, Megan. Um, like you said, some of the common symptoms people know about. Um, But there are some symptoms and maybe not even symptoms, but other, excuse me, other factors that would predispose you that you need to know about. So some of the other symptoms that I'd like to touch on is extreme insomnia, really get that rest. You know, we tell mothers when the baby comes, when the baby sleeps, you should sleep. Of course, you know, we're always thinking, oh, I can fold that one one load of laundry or I can throw something in the dishwasher, you know, but most moms, they do get into a rhythm where they know, okay, it's time for me to rest and they can rest. But if you see someone in your sphere, you yourself, you have this, it's really a relentless insomnia where you really can't sleep. That's one of the other big things. Um, A restlessness, an irritability that's really beyond just feeling overwhelmed or not being able to get your schedule together. You know, I mean, when those little people come, trust me, they disrupt the entire schedule. You know, you think, okay, when they get here, I'm going to do this and I'm going to have them. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Especially a lot of us moms that, you know, in our day and age, a lot of us are probably stepping away from a career for a little while. We're used to having a schedule. We're used to being able to get our deadlines done. And these little people, come and they disrupt. Mm. So having this irritability that's more than just, oh, I just can't seem to get it together. The other things that predispose us is if you have a lack of social support, having people around to be able to help you, to give you that moment of pause, be able to go take a shower and be able to just do some things for yourself. Also, if you've had a major life event, such as a death in the family recently, that can predispose you to having postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. And so there are some predisposing factors that you need to be aware of just in your sphere that could predispose you to having more than what we call just the baby blues or postpartum blues. You touched on personal stories. So the other thing I meant to touch on was if you have a preterm baby, and that was my story for our first child, 
So um, I actually went into preterm labor at 31 weeks and he laid me up on my back for another five weeks. And he um, was actually a pre-termer and having to leave him in the NICU. And, you know, intellectually, when I saw his course, I knew exactly what was going to happen. You know, he got intubated. He had to get surfactant. Um, You know, intellectually, I was tracking everything that happened. But I had a vaginal delivery, which meant I was leaving on postpartum day number three. You know, and when I packed up and they gave me the little package and said, here, you're going to bring back your milk and these. And I was just like, wait, bring back my milk. That's when it hit me. I'm going to leave him. So preterm births even are a predisposing factor to developing postpartum depression. That is such an excellent point. I'm so glad you brought that out. So as we talk about the experience of postpartum depression, you experienced it, I've experienced it, and it's such a powerful experience that it can kind of lead us to maybe have fears that if you have had it after one birth, that this is always going to be the way you experience the postpartum time with any future births. My Mine was after our twins, the, the, the last of our children, but uh, it, it could happen, it seems like, at any time. And so I was wondering, if you have already experienced postpartum depression, would that mean that you would have it after every single birth? No, not after every single birth. There is a possible recurrence rate of about 25%. Okay. So once you have experienced postpartum depression, you are at an increased risk over the general population of having pre- of having postpartum depression again in another subsequent pregnancy. Will it be the very next pregnancy? Not necessarily. But these are the things, too, that your doctor needs to be aware of when you do become pregnant the next time because that needs to be part of your prenatal first visit. So that there can be an awareness even during the pregnancy because there is an increased risk of you developing depression or some type of psychological illness that can happen during the during your pregnancy that needs to be addressed that may need medication that then needs to also be addressed and followed in the time immediately after having your baby. That is so good to know. And I know that will be so helpful to moms who have already experienced this, or if you're supporting a friend who has gone through this or family member. And I'm so glad you said that. I used to, <laughs> I would often tell my my patients um, when they would bring in a significant other, I'd say to them, okay, so if they want to harm themselves, harm the baby or harm you, okay, <laughs> you know? And I kind of threw that in kind of jovially, but I kept telling, I really wanted to express, you really need to be aware of the changes. If this person is not themselves, something is wrong. Something is really wrong and it needs to be addressed with a a healthcare provider. And it's not just the OBGYN. The pediatricians also screen because you're going to the pediatrician probably more than you're seeing OBGYN right after. Mm-hmm. So the pediatrician will be able to screen you as well. You know, are you okay? And it's not just the bonding. It's just how are you dealing with life afterwards? And so you really need to be honest and open. And those that are around you need to be honest and open with you. I know having experienced it, it is difficult to make a phone call to a doctor's office. For me, I did turn to my OBGYN because I had a very close relationship with her. Having gone through a twin pregnancy, I saw her a lot before our babies got here. (laughs) And I felt like she was a good person to check in with, but it was really hard to make that phone call. And then I didn't know 
what I what to expect from going in and talking to any kind of healthcare provider about what I was going through. So, as a doctor, if you can help us to just know what can you expect from a doctor's visit to discuss postpartum depression? Well, I know for OBGYNs and for pediatricians, they are usually asking probably two basic questions. Do you feel sadder than normal? And do you feel like there's just an overwhelming overwhelming sense of hopelessness? Like you just really can't get it together. And that can open up the discussion. So I had a, a patient that when she delivered, it was their first baby. I mean, she was very euphoric right after delivery. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had in my in my years of practice at that point, I hadn't even seen this before. She was very euphoric and even to the point where she turns to her husband and says, oh my gosh, I can't wait to to have the next one. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still delivering the placenta. Are you serious? (laughs) And I saw her two weeks later and she was not the same person Mm. that I even knew through the pregnancy. She had a very, we call it flat affect, which means she had no expression on her face. Uh, she just sat there and she said, uh, Dr. McMillan, I don't like my baby anymore. Mm, yeah. I don't like him. I just want to pick up my keys and walk past his bassinet and get in the car and drive away. And that change, that big drop, I knew something's wrong. And what can happen, what the theory is, is that with the drop in the hormonal milieu of the brain, some people are more sensitive to that drop than others. And so I knew that she may need a little bit more estrogen. And everybody has their own way of of approaching this. Some people will put you on um, antidepressants or SSRIs, um, some people because they feel that the neurochemistry needs to be supported. From my perspective, hormones, I believe, need to probably be supported a little bit more. So I put her on some estrogen and I saw her two weeks later and she was a different person. She started, her mood started elevating a little bit more. So what you can expect at a doctor's office is really the conversation, you know, and don't feel that somebody is judging you. We're just trying to help you and the family. We want because studies are also showing that children whose parents are depressed or suffer a major depressive episode, their health is actually impacted. So this is not just to say, oh, you know, you're just not handling this right. No, this is impacting your health, your family's health and the future. And so we're just here to help support that. That that's really what I believe um, that you should expect at an office visit. You know, just say to them, maybe say to them, you know, I just don't. Something's not right. You can always just say something's not right. I I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. It's just not right. And that was for me. I just knew I felt different. I'm not. I'm probably your over optimistic person. You know, it's right. just like Keisha. You know, kind of be a realist sometimes, but. <laughs> I just, I was crying more than I normally do. And I just felt the anxiety was just so overwhelming. And so I called up my physician, who is a colleague of mine and a friend, and I was just like, something's not right. It's it's just not right. And I did not go on medication at that point. Um, but I believe what happened, not believe, but what happened was that my, my, my social 
support system was very, was very intact by then. And so they really supported me through that. And I was able to, you know, really go through some therapy and, you know, use some therapy tools that I used from the past, um, because I believe in therapy, I believe it's a great tool to use. And so that's what helped what's helped me get through it. That is so helpful. I'm so thankful that you were able to take the time to come in and speak as a doctor, as a woman, as a mom to this experience. And I know for all of the awesomes who are listening, hearing your insight is going to have a big impact. My pleasure. Not a problem. I really enjoy coming to the awesomes community today. So I loved having Dr. McMillan on the show. One thing, Katie, that I love that she said is that the one of the biggest indicators that a woman can really um, take note of is just a pervasive feeling of something's not right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that yeah. is so important. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. McMillan, again, her podcast is called House Call with Dr. Mac. You can find it in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also find her on her website, housecallwithdrmac.com. And we'll put all of that into our show notes. I also wanted to hear a perspective from somebody who practices an alternative approach to medicine. And I have found uh, somebody I think will be perfect to speak to this. And her name is Brody Welch. She's a licensed acupuncturist. She's a board certified herbalist, a Chinese medicine expert, and a self-care strategist. She's the founder of Life and Balance Acupuncture, where she has been treating patients since 2003. And again, her focus is really on that mind-body connection. And so I asked her to explain to us a little bit about how Chinese medicine approaches the postpartum period in general, and what her advice would be for someone who wanted to seek a natural approach to healing from postpartum depression might look like. Hi, Rhody. Thank you so much for taking time to join us on Sort of Awesome Today to talk about some natural approaches to healing for postpartum depression. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Megan. I love, love, love educating people about Chinese medicine and just really opening the door to this whole other way of looking at health. I did want to kind of just start, generally speaking, within the practice of Chinese medicine, how do practitioners in this field view the the general postpartum period for any woman who has just given birth? Well, obviously, a pregnancy is a pretty big deal. It's this huge investment in resources that the body has to make. And from a Chinese medicine standpoint, the woman is essentially donating her own energy and blood. So like her, her chi and blood, as well as the essence of who she is to growing this new being into the world in her body. So it takes, so if we think about kind of like the resources involved in growing this new being is a pretty big deal. And so it can be very, very taxing. And I'm sure any woman who's ever gone through pregnancy or witnessed a woman go through pregnancy, (laughs) you know, just, uh, just what a big deal that is. And so it, it, so after giving birth and then, the, yeah, then there's labor and delivery or a C-section in, in this day and age. Also, like even if they're natural, pretty big deals that one could qualify as trauma for the body. Absolutely. And so, so there's essentially, so there's several things going on here. And in Chinese medicine, we look at, we, we treat people, not 
conditions. So all treatments for postpartum depression or the postpartum era would not look the same. It's going to depend on what each individual person is presenting with. But but I think we can all agree, huge investment of, of bodily resources that we call chi and blood as well as life essence, as well as the potential for trauma in the actual birthing process. And so two basic things that can happen is that the blood, capital B blood, not just the stuff that runs in our veins, but this concept of blood as that which allows us is the currency of our emotions. It gives us our sense of self. It also, it's like the yin to the yang of energy. So it's it's all the nutritive components that we need to do our activities with. Okay. And so all of that gets depleted. And so the blood is intimately connected with the heart, which in Chinese medicine is said to house the mind or the spirit. Basically, the heart is the emotional center of the body, as we think of it in our culture, you know, and, and the fact that if the blood is not sufficient enough, the mind can go awry, like that our perceptions can get really skewed. And obviously, we know that the body and mind are related to one another and in fact, inseparable. And so not only is the woman now like sleep deprived because she has a baby um, and probably overwhelmed because it's a, such a dramatic shift in in what her life is like before and after that circumstances itself can be overwhelming. But it's not uncommon for a woman to experience anxiety, sleep issues, um, not having enough breast milk, having um, feeling a sense of, of overwhelm or or fear that she's not doing it right. Meanwhile, she's got all the hormonal fluctuations that have been taking place that still haven't evened out yet. So there's the physical stuff and there's emotional stuff all, and it can be really hard to tease out like what's going on. What, right. and, and so a woman who is presenting very deficient, like she's she's depressed, she's overwhelmed, she doesn't feel like she has what it takes to do the job in front of her. It's like she feels like her energy or her chi is insufficient to the job. And that in Chinese medicine, we look at that as, as kind of a chi and blood deficiency situation. And what we're going to want to do is nourish the blood back. And herbs and diet are a fantastic way of doing that. And acupuncture is a superb way of doing that. We know that so many studies have done on acupuncture for various different kinds of depression. And if we think about the benefits specifically that acupuncture can have, it's like a giant anti-inflammatory, first of all. So if there's pain going on, it can be super helpful. Um, it can also alter which genes get switched on and off um, or imbalanced um, during depression. And oh, wow. that 21 genes that can be imbalanced by depression can be normalized by acupuncture. This has been studied oh, as wow. well. I had no idea about that. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of really, really great research on this. And um, another another study that um, I came across recently, if women are getting acupuncture during their pregnancy, their likelihood of postpartum depression goes way down. And the fact that we see the acupuncture plus psychological intervention like counseling is just as, if not slightly edging out Prozac and yet without any of the side effects. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a, there's a lot of really cool research out there, but just in general, I treat, actually, I don't treat very many people for postpartum because generally the people that I'm treating in the postpartum phase, I've been seeing to either to help them get pregnant or during, you know, for various pain or issues that they're having during their pregnancy. And so afterwards, I just continue to be in their life as a as a supportive provider of health and counseling as well, you know, health counseling as well as someone who's slinging needles and prescribing herbs and 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 all of those things I think really contribute to the fact that most of my patients uh, thankfully have done pretty well in that phase and so and and I think it's really important for people to recognize like 
in Chinese medicine, we don't treat the problem, we treat the person. And so everything that you do in life, everything that you put into your body, how you live your everyday life is either going to be taking you towards your solution or away from it. And so working with someone who who knows this stuff can be can be really helpful. And so and, and we have a whole other way of thinking about food, for example, where to, to nourish back blood, that eating a lot of really high quality, easy to digest proteins can be really helpful. So like bone broth is like a superb yeah. thing to um, postpartum, but also foods that we associate with kind of that life essence and that reproductive essence, the kidney yin, the liver blood, which is going to be the legumes and especially things, uh, legumes and seeds, and especially the ones that are of the color black, like black beans and black sesame seeds. Okay. And also um, things like beets and leafy greens that are really fabulous for nourishing blood. That is really fascinating. Again, it's Chinese medicine's different way of looking at food, right? Where basically herbs are just strong food. Yes. And it, and so we have this very sophisticated system of herbal medicine that any sort of anything that if, say that we're aiming at the root of the problem and that's blood deficiency. We can do that with acupuncture points that are known to help the body produce more chi and blood. And so that a woman can feel more energetic, but that there's also, there's ways of applying that same philosophy with herbal medicine as well as with food. And there's just this sort of different take on it. So that, that notion that foods that are going to be of, for example, animal protein is going to be very building to the body, whereas vegetables are going to be more cleansing and detoxifying. And so it's like, we have some intuitive sense of that. Just when people think about cleaning up their diet, they don't tend to think like, oh, this is the time for lots of meat. You know? Right, like, right, exactly. <laughs> they're usually thinking about kale smoothies at that point. Right, but, yes. Um, but in this case, it's like warm, cooked, easy to digest food that is, uh, that's protein rich is, is really awesome postpartum. And that you may have heard that there is a practice of actually saving the placenta and, oh, yes. and using it as an herb. And that's, that comes right out of Chinese medicine, that notion that here's the body's huge investment in this thing to nourish this fetus and that like that that should really go back into its source such as the mother yeah. yeah interestingly even my medical doctor who delivered my twins was very encouraging of that so i think that that is becoming more and more mainstream as an approach to normalizing the systems of the body after birth so yeah i know definitely more and more women are looking into that as an option Oh, that's really cool to know that that that's gaining some traction here. Yeah. So like there's lots of ways of moving forward and that it's got to be the one that feels right for you. So for some people, if that's going and getting a prescription for Prozac, that may be just a perfect solution for that person. At the same time, there it's not the only solution. And so if you know that you can do just as well with something that is going to go deeper than allevi- alleviating the symptoms, but actually help to to nourish back the blood in this case, that that's just as legitimate. Trust yourself to trust your instincts and to really double down on, on, on things like sleep when you need them. Like, yes. because really being able to nourish back what's been depleted is like basically lie around, do as little as possible, have people wait on you. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> yes. I say this and a lot, I'm sure a lot of people are rolling their eyes like, I wish I don't have that kind of life. And, uh, but this absolutely is a time to be calling in, you know, those favors of friends who want to bring over some soup, let them, you know, like let, let somebody else, you, you don't have to do it all. And so that the more that, the more that you can keep your energy focused on what's truly important, the things that only you can do in the, in that time period, 
focus on recognizing that you're in an, in a deficit and that you need to come back to a baseline and yes. that the sooner you can do that, the sooner you'll feel like yourself. And so don't push yourself. Don't, don't overexert because it's really trite to just say like, oh, well, just rest or you know, like, yes. so it, what yeah. I mean goes beyond, a little beyond that. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it really does help an enormous amount just getting the sleep and the rest in and bringing those expectations down for yourself it makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again so much. This has been so helpful and, and so enlightening in so many ways. I've been kind of traveling in natural health and healing circles for a long time. But you shared some things particularly about diet and about what is actually happening in the body following birth that I had no idea about. So I know this is going to be super helpful for our awesomes who are listening today. So thank you again so much, Brody. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Okay, again, that was Brody Welch. You can find more from her at brodywelch.com. She also has a podcast called A Healthy Curiosity, which you can find in iTunes. And wherever you listen to podcasts, you can also find her on facebook.com slash a healthy curiosity. Okay, Katie, before we wrap up the show, something we always like to do when we're talking about more serious topics is not just explore the situation itself, but also look at approaches to coping and to finding a path for healing. So what are some things that you have kind of thought about that you would recommend when it comes to practical solutions for postpartum depression? So number one, what I would say is to definitely trust your gut. Um, if you are feeling for a long period of time, like you said, that's a brilliant thing something is not right here, then something is not right here. And it is totally okay. You are okay. You are not crazy. You are aware of mm -hmm. what is happening. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with asking for help. My only advice would be to seek out professional help. I think you need to be brutally honest with what's going on. No shame. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one thing that people don't take, in, take into consideration that, that postpartum depression is such a shameful sort of prison yes. and women feel so much shame for being in that position in the first place. So yes. uh, my encouragement would be shame is a lie. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and to seek help, you know, from somebody who really is trained to know what, that what you're saying means something. And I, I agree. And I think that, um, really listening to yourself and understanding that something's not right and it, it's okay to reach out and get help. And if you're supporting somebody who has just given birth, I think that it's so important to know that it may not present in the way that you think that it's going to. And think about what you can do to help make recovery and healing happen for her, whether it is volunteering to babysit the baby so she can go to doctor's appointments, counseling sessions, whatever treatment plan she and her healthcare provider put together. Ask her. And sometimes even often go beyond asking, you have to like mm -hmm. insist that it's going to happen. I will be there to do this. Tell me what time I'm going to be there. Another thing that we heard both of Brody Welch and um, Dr. McMillan reference is the importance of sleep, which can be so elusive for a new <laughs> mom. And so if there are ways that you can make sleep happen, whether it is showing up to watch a baby or watch kids during nap time, I'm not a great napper. So something that was so helpful to me really following all of the births of my children is early bedtime. So having a partner or a, a friend or family member who can come over and manage the house, I'm talking about like from six o'clock on so that you can slip into bed and get a good chunk of sleep before, you know, if baby is still waking up at night, that can be a huge help. My mother-in-law came over once or twice a month when the twins were born for a whole year and cleaned our house. And Aww, that a was amazing, huge, huge, 
huge help. So doing things like cleaning house, running errands, because again, a big thing of postpartum depression is that sense of overwhelm. Um, And so something like running errands can feel like impossible to do. So there's lots of practical ways, but a lot of times you're going to have to kind of work through and help a person, you know, help her know that she doesn't need to feel shame and that Mm -hmm. you are going to be there to help her in practical ways. Did you have any other resources you wanted to throw out there, Katie? Um, I did have a couple of things. One of the ladies in the, actually in the sort of awesome group mentioned this book called The Mood Cure. Um, it's by Julia Ross. Uh, she's, I guess she's written another book called The Diet Cure. But um, I, ha- I have to be honest in that I have not completely read through this. But as I was like skimming through it, it has a lot of great um, food and nutrition uh, things that you can put on board. So yeah, so, as I, so I think this would, would just be a helpful, easy resource. And it, it appears to be something that you can kind of pick through. Like you don't have to go through and read the whole thing if you're feeling overwhelmed. That it can just help, can kind of shore up other um, medications or whatever that you've got going on. Gotcha. Well, the only other thing that I, I, I wanted to say um, is that when it comes to asking your friends who are suffering with postpartum depression, they may not be able to answer you. Mm, mm-hmm. When you say, hey, how can I help you? They may not be able to answer you. One of the things I think is very important to remember um, is that uh, people have not done anything to get postpartum depression. Right. And so when we when we are loving somebody who has postpartum depression, we really need to be very gracious and remember that they don't know. Like you may ask them what they need and they may not be able to answer you. Um, and things may change a lot. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes the understanding of depression in general uh, is a little cynical. Mm. It, depression is not a sin. It's mm. not a choice. Um, and as much as these as people who are suffering with depression have not done anything to get it, you have not done anything not to have it. That's and you true. need to love we need to love people really well because people are struggling um, and we just need to be gracious and and just roll with the punches. That's right. One last resource I can't um, do a postpartum show without uh, mentioning is Catherine Stone and her work at postpartumprogress.com. There is a wealth of information there. She's been doing this work for a long time, and there are tons of resources, tons of information at that site. As we close, I know that you all want to have follow-up conversations with us. I'm sure that you do. And so we are definitely going to be talking about this in our sort of awesome hangout group on Facebook where Katie is a member. We will have some follow-up discussions there. It's facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at sort of awesome Meg. You can find the show on Instagram at sort of awesome show. We are on Twitter at sort of awesome pod. You can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sort of awesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome.